The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I want to take you to the winter of 1946. There's a young man by the name of Shimon. He found himself in the DP camp in Germany. He was a survivor of numerous death camps. Shimon had committed to memory the brutal faces and the names of these Nazi tormentors. Never forget what those monsters did to him and to six million of his brothers and sisters. One day, this American rabbi who served as a chaplain of that DP camp asked Shimon if he would be prepared to join him on a very difficult and challenging trip. And he explains to him that the United States Army had learned that there's a castle in Bavaria that the Nazis had designated as a museum to the extinct Jewish race. It was there that they had sent and stored masses shipments of Judaica, books, religious articles that they looted from Jewish homes and synagogues all over Europe. And their idea was to build a museum so that the world could know that there once was a Jewish people, and we did the world a favor by getting rid of them once and for all. And the United States Army wants to send someone to see, indeed, does this exist and what's there. Being that this chaplain was an expert on Jewish matters, the army had asked him to inspect the contents of the castle, but he didn't want to go alone. So he asked Shimon, would you come with me? Shimon seemed like this wise, strong-willed young man, and he agrees to go. And they travel to Bavaria, and upon entering the castle, the two men gasped at what they absorbed was the enormity of what they saw. It was this massive warehouse filled from floor to ceiling with all types of Judaica, Torah scrolls, pairs of tefillin, talasim, paintings, menorahs, seder plates, candlesticks, endless piles upon piles upon piles. An airy silence came over them as they contemplated the ghosts of the absent owners of all these items. The proud young bar mitzvah boy who would never recite Kiddush on that Kiddush cup the beautiful bride who would never see the flames of her candlesticks, the elderly grandfather whose tender kiss would no longer touch the velvet Torah cover. All of those vibrant and promising lives turned into ashes of memories. Yet there they are on this day, seeing each of these items. They walked along. Shimon and the the chaplain started touching the items just to put their fingertips on these holy sacred items. And at one point, they separated, each going to a different part of this particular warehouse. Shimon is at one end of the castle, and suddenly he hears the chaplain crying out from the other end. He runs towards the stream, and he finds the chaplain on the floor. His head is bowed, tears are streaming down his face. Without saying a word, the chaplain hands Shimon this object in his hand. It was a simple prayer book. Nothing extraordinary, a prayer book. What about that siddur brought about this strong emotional response from the chaplain? At that point, the chaplain points to the inscription inside. The owner of that siddur scribbled on the front page of the prayer book, I am begging whoever finds this siddur to do whatever you can to avenge the deaths of the Jews of Europe. It was signed by a woman whose name Shimon did not recognize, but the chaplain did. As he cried to Shimon, my sister, that was written by my sister. Although the chaplain was fortunate to have left Europe before the war, his sister had remained and he had been desperately seeking news of her, but found nothing until that moment. Amongst tens of thousands of items, somehow he finds the siddur that his sister owned, 
with his sister's handwriting. The woman had apparently written those words in desperation just before her death. Her final scribbled words read, They are coming. The murderers are among us. I hear them in the next house. Please avenge our deaths. The chaplain then let out a cry of his sister's name that pierced Shimon's heart. It was at that moment that Shimon felt that he had been summoned by the heavens. And he decided then and there that he would dedicate the rest of his life to providing the justice that the blood of this woman and six million others were crying out for. You know the name of this man. He went by Simon Wiesenthal, the courageous Nazi hunter who tracked down more than a thousand evil Nazis of the Holocaust. Indeed, the title of Simon Wiesenthal's first book was The Murderers Among Us, from the scribbling of the chaplain's sister. Ladies and gentlemen, throughout our lives, we are sent these signals, these prompts from heaven calling upon us to embark on a certain mission, a mission that is specific to our abilities, to our talents, to our resources, to our influences. The heavenly image of ourselves is beckoning the earthly image of ourselves to synchronize our deeds to what we call our tafkid, our purpose, our mission. A century ago, there lived this great symphony conductor, an Italian maestro named Arturo Toscanini. He was one of the most acclaimed musicians of the late 19th and 20th century. He was known for his perfectionism in detail. Toscanini had a biographer who would interview him periodically over the years for a book he was writing on his life. And one evening, he calls Toscanini and he tells him that he would be in town the next night and he wanted to know if he can come over to continue his series of interviews. And Toscanini says, tomorrow night won't work because I'm doing something special that will require absolute concentration. So he says, Maestro, what is it that you're doing? He says, there's a concert being played overseas. And I was always the conductor of that symphony orchestra, but I couldn't be there this year. So there's something new called shortwave radio. And I'm actually able to listen from my apartment to that symphony being played. And when I listen to it, I don't want any interruptions whatsoever. So the biographer says, you know, it would be my greatest pleasure to just watch you listen to someone playing your music. I won't say a word. I won't interrupt. But just to watch you engage in listening to this would be so special for me. He says, as long as you don't interrupt, you promise not to interrupt, you can come. So he comes over the next night and he watches as Toscanini is listening to the symphony. It's unbelievable music he's listening to. And when it's all over, he asks Toscanini, news, so you enjoyed? And he says, no, that wasn't so good. It wasn't so good. It was perfect. He says, no. I wrote that for 120 musicians, including 15 violinists. There were only 14 violinists there playing. It's impossible. He's thinking to himself. He knows if there's 120 or 190 musicians, shortwave radio, but he doesn't say a word. He leaves. The next day, it's bothering him. So he finds out where the show took place and who was in charge of that theater. And he gives them a call and he says, I have a question for you. How many musicians played last night? He says there was supposed to be 120, but one violinist couldn't make it. So he goes back to Tuscanini and he says, I have to ask this question. When you told me that there was 14 violinists and one was missing, I didn't believe you. It's impossible. And yet I found out today it was true. How, how can you possibly have known it? And Toscanini says this, there's a big difference between you and me. You see, you're part of the audience. 
And the audience, everything sounds wonderful. We go to a Broadway play, we applaud, we give a standing ovation. We don't pick up on the little mistakes. You are the audience. You listened, you enjoyed, you applauded. But I'm the conductor. I wrote that music. I wrote every note of that symphony. And I knew that the notes of one violin player wasn't there. And so it wasn't perfection for me. I share this story with you because we're all different. We each make our own music, and yet we're all part of this great symphony called Israel, the Jewish people. And if we don't contribute the special notes that we are capable of, the distinctive notes that were written by the conductor for us as individuals, then there's something missing from the whole. And it makes a huge difference to the conductor of the world who knows our potential, who knows the music, who knows the instruments and the notes that we're supposed to play. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.